Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. If the federal government to this point had shown the ability to navigate all of the complex concerns surrounding managing a public health crisis and a fragile economy, I might say, okay. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Before we get started, we really enjoyed putting together the Community Voices episode of Pantsuit Politics. And we got such great support and feedback from all of you that we had an idea. We thought it might be nice to have a kids version of the Community Voices episode We would love to hear from your kids about how they're experiencing this, what they're thinking about school and summer camps. We're going to include the voices of our own children as well. 
So send us a voicemail mo to hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com if your kiddos are interested in being a part of that episode. And we want that to be a wide age range. So we know some of you are parenting little bitties and seniors graduating from high school, college kids graduating. So uh, we can look at kid inclusively here. Also want to let you know that next week we are going to do a roundup of the Supreme Court's recent decisions on Tuesday's episode. If you like more information, and I hope that you do, about the Supreme Court, Supreme Court week is ongoing. It's really going to be more like Supreme Court two weeks. It's just not as catchy to talk about it that way. But I'm going through (laughs) one case a day on Patreon in a fair amount of detail because I really think going case by case, even the cases that aren't making lots of headlines, gives you such a perspective on how this court operates. And that's what we'll really be talking about on Tuesday. What are we learning about how this court operates and what could that mean for us over the next few months? So patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. It's open to all levels right now of support if you want to get those deep dives on the cases and then we can all get excited for Tuesday's episode, Supreme Court Roundup. Today is May 1st, which is the beginning of Mental Health Month. I feel about Mental Health Month right now the way I did about Bring Your Child to Work Day, which was a few weeks ago. I just want to (laughs) go. The irony is thick that during this time where all of our children are already at work and all of us are having a very intense mental health moment that the calendar is thinking, I guess, that they're going to remind us of something that we're not already like chest deep in, but it's good. It takes, it is an important moment to pull our focus beyond our own individual mental health challenges and think about how we could use this moment to expand the meaning of mental health, expand mental health services, expand our conversations about mental health, because it is absolutely something a lot of us are thinking quite a bit about right now. Yeah, I think it's more important than ever to remember how normal it is to have a diagnosable mental health condition and to talk about where do we get treatment for that? How do we access resources, especially in a time like this? So we're going to put a link in the show notes to Mental Health America's website that has all kinds of great information and just are, you know, really thinking about the people who provide mental health care against a lot of odds to do that well. We see you and appreciate you and know that the challenge is even greater now than it's been before. We're going to kick off today talking about 2020 news. There's been some developments on both the Democratic side, um, the Libertarian side, and lots of interesting reporting today on the Trump campaign. But kicking it off with Joe Biden, he has already committed to picking a female vice president and has announced a committee to do the background and the research and the vetting of any possible vice presidential pick that he has announced he hopes to have by July. He has received several other high-profile endorsements this week, including that of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. This all comes as the reporting and intensity surrounding the sexual assault allegations from Tara Reid have really, really increased. I think starting with the vice presidential search might make some sense here. The co-chairs that have been announced are former U.S. Senator Chris Dodd, Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester of Delaware, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, and Cynthia Hogan, who is a former White House counsel, former Senate counsel to Joe Biden. And this news to me demonstrates that for Team Biden right now, sitting very, very still is almost their best option. 
because the news cycle is so weird and his opportunities to do anything that generates a bunch of enthusiasm are so limited that any announcement like this that comes out is just an invitation to critical coverage. You know, you're not going to announce a committee like this and have the whole of American media go, oh, good choices. And so you're getting, you know, especially from right-wing media, a lot of jabbing at Chris Dodd's inclusion here. Now, ultimately, who cares? We never knew who sits on these committees. Everybody has committees like this in droves. And I don't know how much the public cares about any of that right now. But it's just interesting to me to see that, like, the things that can get oxygen for Biden in the news cycle right now are mostly going to generate a lot of negative attention. And that's got to be so frustrating to the people working on the campaign. Well, I mean, I think that the sitting still portion of the sexual assault allegations is over because you have increasing calls for him to respond personally to the allegations and not just submit a campaign press release that says we deny everything. You have, I think it was the Washington Post editorial board calling for him to release the records from his time in the Senate to see if there's anything enlightening inside those records. There was a really interesting line that basically was, we don't know if we'll learn anything from his, the inventory of these records or from his personal response, but the seriousness of the allegations deserve at least the maximum amount of information the American people can have about it. I'm curious if you actually polled the American people if that would be their response. But this week, there were several additional accounts of corroboration, witnesses that remember Tara Reid telling them about the allegation at the time. Um, In particular, her mother called into the Larry King show in 1993, spoke anonymously about her daughter being harassed by a very prominent senator. Uh, One of my favorite writers on the Internet, Rebecca Traster, who's been on the show before, wrote a really great piece about particularly any female vice presidential candidate that he picks or anybody associated with him, any prominent United States senator or I mean, really anybody like it's the unfortunate reality of sort of sexism and the double bind that so many women are in that they are going to be saddled with these allegations and expected to respond. And I think, you know, the Me Too movement and the increased conversations around sexual assault and the respect and seriousness with which sexual assault allegations should be treated can also include a conversation about that we can just stop doing that, that we can stop expecting every woman in the vicinity of a man to be responsible for his behavior. So I would just like us to encourage not, like, let's just not. Whoever he picks, whatever woman decides to endorse him, whether it's Megan Rapinoe or Hillary Clinton or Michelle Obama, they are not responsible for responding to every choice behavior in the entirety of Joe Biden's life. I just don't, we can just not do that. You know, I am sick of that. I don't think it's fair. It asks every woman that associates with a man to be both a psychic and, you know, a private investigator of the highest order and have complete and total information. And we don't require that any other time. And I don't think we need to require it now. I think that it's Joe Biden's job. And I do think that he should respond personally to these allegations and not anybody else's. Agree wholeheartedly with everything that you just said. I would like to add to it that I think another thing that is not helpful in this moment is acting as though 
because there is one allegation of sexual assault and one on-the-record statement from a woman about sexual harassment and a career of being able to observe with your own eyes that Joe Biden is not the best at respecting people's physical boundaries. We don't write all of those off and not care about them at all because Donald Trump has a pile of credible allegations of sexual assault and harassment. The equation should not be the person with the least wins. It also should not be that we write off Joe Biden's campaign because of this and just accept the the candidate with the flood of allegations. You know, what bothers me about the way the Biden campaign is handling this right now is that he probably more than any figure in American life that I can remember because of who he is, because of his experience, because of the moment that we're living in in America, more than anybody else, he has a chance here to establish a new way to respond to this kind of allegation. And he could do that with his own voice, with care and compassion. He can still tell his side of things. He can still say, ultimately, I did not do what she is saying I did, if that is true. If he did do what she's saying he did, I think he could say that and apologize for it and talked about what he learned, and the vast majority of America would move on from this. I really believe that. I don't see anything in our history as an American public that says we harshly and forever punish men who own up to this type of failing. Nothing. The reason the intensity around all of this is so high for women is that we don't get good examples of men saying, yes, this happened. Here's what I learned from it. I'm sorry. You know, I maintain, like, for me, Brett Kavanaugh was not disqualified from being on the Supreme Court because of what Dr. Ford said he did. It is the way he responded to it that to me, showed a complete absence of candor, of judicial temperament, of the things that you need to do that job well. So I just really do want to hear from Joe Biden in his own voice about this. Whatever the truth is, as he understands it, I want him to share that openly, vulnerably, transparently, because I think he is so well positioned to do that in a way that teaches America something about how we handle these issues. The other thing I keep thinking about with regards to this allegation is I understand the framing that compares Joe Biden to Donald Trump. Because the reason we're talking about this allegation is because they are facing off in a general election in which we are literally asked to compare Joe Biden to Donald Trump. And at the same time, we cannot do that with sexual assault allegations. If we've learned anything from Me Too, is that this is not the sexual assault Olympics, okay? And like this is not, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm not saying that this is not a difficult conversation to have or a difficult thing to talk about and think about as Americans. The idea that we have two men with credible sexual assault allegations against them. We have to find a way to speak with the complexity that this moment deserves. We have to find a way to say, yes, it is true that there is a 
weaponization going on in presidential politics about all manner of topics. It is true that Donald Trump has 10 plus credible allegations against him and that his response to those allegations are abhorrent. But we have to find a way to talk about this with the seriousness it deserves without letting this partisan perspective infect this incredibly important topic. We just do. Well, when you put the partisan perspective on every aspect of it, the effect of that is what you were talking about, that women end up having to do all of the cleanup. Right. Mm-hmm. If you are if you're looking purely through a political lens, then it becomes, well, let's compare the way the accusers have behaved. Let's compare mm-hmm. the credibility as we assess it of the accusers. Let's talk about how the women surrounding these campaigns are dealing with it. You know, everybody wanted to know what Kellyanne Conway had to say about everything impacting Donald Trump. And however you feel about Kellyanne Conway, it is not her responsibility It is not the responsibility of the many women who are working on the Biden campaign to deal with all the cleanup here. And so I I do think this just has to go in a category of its own because these claims are so difficult. Even when we use the word witness, it's a hard word to use because rarely is there what we think of as a witness, someone who also saw it happen and was able to neutrally observe it and tell us their version of events. You know, we're using the word witness to mean a person who was told about an event mm-hmm. in some frame of time. We don't have good language for any of this. We don't know how to do it. And that's why I think Joe Biden could really do a public service here by saying, hey, America, you've known me in public for a long time, and that doesn't mean that you know every single thing about me. And I want to talk about this and about what she's saying and about what happened or didn't from my perspective Because we owe that to each other. I owe it to you. I owe it to her. I owe it to my family to have a conversation about this that respects everybody involved. And then I hope you'll hear me out on how I think we move forward from here. That's what leadership looks like. And it would be awesome for America on so many levels to have that kind of leadership from a major party candidate. The other big development in the 2020 race this week is that Justin Amash has announced an exploratory committee to run for the Libertarian Party nomination. Beth, how do you feel about this? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped and I closed my eyes and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues. And I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist 
and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Many, many ways. (laughs) All the ways. Okay. I want to say first that I think this is another place where we tend to immediately assess sort of what's the political end game. Would he be a spoiler for Democrats or would he be a spoiler for Donald Trump? Right. And that's just that's the sum total of the analysis. And I am trying so hard to resist that being the sum total of my analysis, because if we start there, which I don't want to. The answer is nobody knows anything. Nobody knows if he would be more like Ross Perot or more like Gary Johnson. We have no clue. We have no clue what's going to matter to voters in this election because we are living through an unprecedented public health crisis. So it is difficult for me to imagine that if you were a Bernie Sanders voter who is unhappy that New York canceled its primary, that Joe Biden got uh, the Avengers version of the Democratic Party lining up behind him. If you are disgruntled in general as a Bernie supporter, really hard for me to see you saying, but you know who sounds good? That Justin Amash kid. You know, like, I don't see that working <laughs> out. What I see are more people like me who, depending on what day it is, matter tremendously to the effort to defeat Donald Trump or don't matter at all and should take our seats in the corner because we haven't been Democrats forever and we've been part of the problem, actually. And so 
thank you for being here, but stay quiet during our meeting, which is another perspective that I understand and respect. So here's how I view it. Justin Amash has done what we ask of public servants. He has taken really hard votes, not just related to Donald Trump, but related to all manner of topics and publicly explained himself on how he has decided to vote. He has put his party behind his principles to the point of leaving the party, being ostracized by it. He has, in public, spent lots of time with his constituents explaining why he has come down where he has on impeachment. I do not want to immediately say, well, you selfish SOB, how could you get into this contest to a person who has done everything we ask of public leaders and not seen from many other public leaders? You know, I want to give the benefit of the doubt that Justin Amash, as he has for the past couple of years, is trying to do what he thinks is right here. And I've read the interviews that he's been giving about this, and I am really trying to listen to him to understand his thinking on getting in this race at all, getting in at this time, and getting in as a libertarian candidate. I think he deserves some benefit of the doubt, not just, well, you want your 15 minutes and you want to be a spoiler. I have lots of other things to say, but I want to pause for a second so that I don't filibuster about Justin Amash and see what your reaction is to what I've said so far. I just think it's a false choice. I think it's probably both. I think he has done what he's done in the past for great reasons, and then they started to produce a brand that he liked, and so he leaned in. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's as simple as selfless or selfish. He's probably a little bit of both, just like the rest of us. You know, I think that for a lot of what he of his congressional career, he's made hard choices that he suffered consequences for, for the right reasons. And also at the same time, he received a lot of press for those actions and um, a lot of positive press. And it produced a sort of reputation and, like I said, sort of a political brand that served him and suited him. And both can be true of this this next development, right? It is both it could be both true that he is doing this for good reasons, knowing that some people will see him as a threat to Donald Trump and that those people are violent and crazy. And he will suffer some of the negative consequences he's suffered in other ways when he went against the president. And also that he will get a lot of praise and a lot of positivity and that this will continue to build his brand as a sort of reasonable outsider. So I just think, you know, it's probably both. I'm sad he's not going to be in Congress anymore. But if this doesn't go the way he wanted it to, it's not like he couldn't run for a seat again. So, yeah, I just I think it when when politicians do stuff like this, people want it to be one way or the other. But they're human beings just like everybody else. And they're complicated just like everybody else. And so it's probably a little bit of both. Well, I totally agree with that. I don't think you run for president purely unselfishly anyone ever in our history. Right. You just mm-hmm. that's just not how it goes. And you are have... purely selfishly because that's it's right. A crappy gig. That's right. <laughs> I just am trying to say that I think he deserves better than just immediately jumping to the most cynical interpretation of his actions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of his history. I also think he has an opportunity here that he sees to influence the direction the Libertarian Party goes as a party. We need some place for people who believe in restraining the power of the federal government to land. And that is not going to be the Republican Party for the foreseeable future. 
You know, the Republican Party has become a very big government party and a very big executive branch party. And so I am excited about injecting somewhere into the conversation that, hey, maybe the executive branch has gone too far. I mean, I love that Justin Amash says we need someone who will lead with humility and humility means you let Congress do its work and you support that work. And even when you think it's wrong, you don't immediately jump in because you're cognizant of what your role is. And I think shaping the Libertarian Party in that direction at this moment from someone who is generally open to immigration, who is generally sensitive on racial issues, not perfect, nobody is, but who speaks with some sensitivity about racial issues, you know, that is a way to make sure that the Libertarian Party is being planted and grown in healthy soil. And that it is not overrun, particularly in this time when you got a lot of people running around claiming to be libertarian as they protest state restrictions who do not have that kind of worldview, right? So having somebody at the top of the Libertarian Party ticket, assuming that the Libertarian Party nominates him, and who knows, that is a really interesting party. You know, it is not a sure thing that he gets their nomination, but if he does... I think he is a really good person to form a good, healthy libertarian party that could contribute very positively to the national dialogue. And so for that reason, I think this was a good decision that could have long-lasting good consequences for the nation. You know, am I going to vote for him? I feel like that's the question that people want me to answer. Probably not. I, I agree with Justin Amash even when I disagree with him. So there are votes that he's taken that I would have voted differently were I sitting next to him in Congress. One example is the CARES Act. I would have voted for it, and I agree with every criticism he's mounted about it. I think his logic is good. I think he's his principles are sound. I am probably just a touch more pragmatic and sensitive to the moment than he is. And so that's why I'm not as uh, dogmatic as he is about things. But I also do not find him to be an extreme voice in any instance. I think he is very thoughtful and he is exactly the kind of person that I would love to see as the president. And also I am sensitive to the need to make a fundamental change in the way this country is going right now in terms of executive leadership. I am not 100% not going to vote for him, and I am not 100% um, anything about this entire process. I am in a space of listening. I want to hear more from him. I want to see how the Libertarian Party handles this. I am real interested in what their convention is going to be like, especially given who who knows what any convention is going to be like. Um, Mm -hmm. I am glad to hear a lot more from him. And I also just don't want to rush into any direction out of fear and hand-wringing. So I hope that that is a somewhat satisfying response. (laughs) It's just where I am. I think this is really hard. I voted third party last time. I hate living in a country where people talk about you like you're an asshole if you even consider voting third party, especially since in that same country we talk all the time about how the two parties don't represent all of us. So I don't want to do that. And, and I like this person, and I am very supportive of a lot of what he stands for. And I also just don't know in this election because this is a weird election. It will surprise no one to hear I will not be voting for Justin Amash, just in case anybody needed me on the record on that. I'm glad that you cleared that up. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come right back.
Let's transition to some COVID-19 talk. One issue that I think specifically does hit on sort of libertarian concerns, which is the president's decision to use the Defense Production Act to make sure that we keep having meat in our food supply in the country. I am very curious what you think about this, Sarah. I think it's for a couple reasons. One, this reeks of industry protection to me and not worker protection, which is where I lean. The reporting is that the meat industry not only was engaging in some fear-mongering with full-page ads with the food supplies in danger. First of all, nobody's going to go hungry if they can't get bacon. I just want to put that on the record. The meat supply is not the food supply. There is lots of food to eat, even if we do not have any pork to eat. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there's reporting that the industry heavily lobbied the Trump administration to step in with the Defense Production Act. It feels like not only force workers back into scenarios where they do not feel safe, but to protect the industry against any liability from workers who might get sick and die. We've already had workers in in food packing plants get sick and die. And so, it, it you know, it feels very much to me like not taking the means of production because the producers themselves can't get in line. It feels like he's getting involved in the means of production to support the producers, which is not really what that law is about. I also think I find it particularly offensive because we really do need him to invoke that production act in a lot of different areas. And this is the one he chooses. It's just frustrating. I think it is really premature. There is certainly concern about the food supply all around. We talked about that a little bit in our last episode. I take seriously that many, many Americans rely on meat for nutrition. I have no judgment about that. I take seriously that meat processing plants are struggling to stay open and the impact that has not just on uh, consumers of meat, but also on, you know, humane treatment of animals, which is already complex as we talk about this subject. So I, I don't deny that there's a problem here. I do think it is premature to use this tool to have the federal government decide to tell these plants to stay open, especially because the plants were closing because they had so many sick workers. This is not an instance of we wanted to make the most money possible. It is people were sick and we couldn't we couldn't staff our factories. And so I totally agree with you, Sarah, that there is a real problem to me in the government stepping in to say people in this industry need to get back to work, whether that's the healthiest option or not, especially because these are food products. It's not just sick workers. You're going to have sick consumers on the other side of it if this isn't handled extremely carefully. We're talking about a workforce that is primarily made up of people who are not the most economically or socially advantaged in our country. A lot of minorities, a lot of immigrants. And people already working in unsafe working environments. It's not like this is new because of COVID-19. Exactly. Packaging plants are notorious for terrible working conditions. Exactly. And so I just if if the federal government to this point had shown the ability to navigate all of the complex concerns surrounding managing a public health crisis and a fragile economy, I might say, okay, if the government is invoking this act to keep these plants open, There will be behind it, I am certain, a plan for how to responsibly do that. 
but I do not have that confidence in this administration. And I think that that lack of confidence is well-placed. Because if they had stepped up and said, all right, we have food supply issues because many of our wholesalers are supplying school districts and restaurants, which are no longer open, at the same time that we have Americans going hungry and lining up for miles in food pantry lines, then we are going to use the power of the government to dramatically dial up the food distribution. You know, there's senior food distribution programs through the federal government, lots of sort of uh, low-income food distribution to communities that need it. So if they said, okay, we're going to use the power of the federal government, either the military, the National Guard, to both staff these plants safely and then redirect this food supply where it is needed and coordinate that effort, I would have been the first to applaud. But that's not what they're doing. They're not doing, they're not, none of this addresses the issue that part of the reason the food supply issues were coming to bear is that they were, so much of our food supply goes to schools and restaurants that aren't open. At the same time, we have people hungry. And, you know, that's just the frustrating part to me. It's like, it's, again, it's just solving an industry problem, not a societal problem. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze Sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this 
fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. And look, I mean, that not to keep talking about Justin Amash, I guess I have built him a little apartment in my brain um, this week, but (laughs) this gets to a key criticism he has that is correct from the entirety of the federal government right now. We have seen trillions of dollars spent in ways that help industries and not people. That is just true. It it is as true from Justin Amash as it would be from someone like Bernie Sanders, that we have diverted resources in service of an existing economic structure that ignores, like, who, who in the White House has any experience with food pantries? I would genuinely love to know that. Is there anybody in a senior strategy position? You don't need to love that. You know the answer to that question. You know the answer to that question. And look, this is a problem throughout our government that we don't have good representative experiences at the table. But we we just aren't capable of reacting to this crisis in ways that make a lot of sense because the decision making around this crisis is so insulated and And I think that Americans should have questions about that because a lot of money is going out right now in ways that aren't helpful. And the fact that one industry was able to lobby to get the government to force them to stay open and now Republicans in Congress are working to limit the liability of those industries. And it's a fair question. Well, if the government makes me operate my business, shouldn't I have less liability in the process? Well, yes, but are we using makes in a normal sense, are we using makes in air quotes with a wink, you know, and it's just it's a really difficult, thorny issue. We did have some positive COVID-19 developments in the face of the Meat Production Act news and some really depressing numbers coming out of the Commerce Department, which was that we had positive breakthroughs with regards to a treatment, an antiviral drug and the sort of gold standard of scientific studies, which was a double-blind, peer-reviewed study, found that there was a reduction in the hospital stay for COVID-19 patients from 15 to 11 days. Now, 15 to 11 days is not a breakthrough, but uh, Dr. Fauci spoke at length about that why this is good news is because it's a proof of concept. It proves that it will respond to antiviral drugs, and we can have a objective outcome that we can look at and measure and make this the new standard of treatment and hopefully get even better 
drugs and better outcomes. So that's very positive. And to wrap up on the positives, we have heard from more of you about local leaders that you are really impressed with. Alyssa wanted to compliment Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox of Utah. He is a Republican, but she describes him as a compassionate moderate, and he is someone whose career I have followed with interest. She is really pleased that he's running for governor, but he's telling people don't contribute money to my campaign, find people in need and help them out. She was impressed with a teleconference where he unveiled a detailed and, she believes, data-driven, nuanced plan to combat coronavirus in Utah. I loved this part of her message. She said that he was talking about how we don't have to choose between saving lives and the economy. We can do both. And this is the most comprehensive plan that states have to do this. She said, I bristled at the superlatives. Trump has made me hate all superlatives. And I am with you on that, (laughs) Alyssa. I, I am so with you. But she said that she does think it's a really comprehensive plan that she hopes other states can use as well and that Utah is really ramping up their testing in a way that she's impressed by. So kudos to Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox from Alyssa. We also heard from Amy. She wrote us to compliment her Canadian leaders. She is a United States citizen living and working in Ontario, Canada. And being in the country during a pandemic has really brought her attention to those local leaders. Specifically, she wanted to compliment the way that the Prime Minister Trudeau and Ontario's Premier Doug Ford have worked together to put measures in place to protect Canada and Ontario. She says, our area started taking precautions incredibly early and it appears the curve is flattening. During a press conference last week, Premier Doug Ford said, the numbers clearly show that we have collectively saved thousands of lives. You have saved thousands of lives. But we also know that we can't stop now. There are 1,600 people out there that need us to do everything we can in the next 30 days to help save them. She said, I feel leadership is positive here, and I feel safe to be in this area of the world during the pandemic. We had two compliments for Governor Gavin Newsom in California. First from Sabrina, who says, full transparency, I've been kind of a lukewarm Gavin Newsom supporter up until this point, and I am aware of how the rest of America tends to look at California and and how the rest of America might interpret Gavin Newsom calling California a nation state. But she says she loves that he's working with other states to build a consortium to order supplies. He doesn't have to do that. California is the richest state in the union and could go it alone, but he is using that position of strength to help others, and that's the definition of leadership and service. She said that the nation state comment makes her chuckle because she's heard over the last three and a half years how California should just secede. And considering that California is the largest contributor of federal income tax as well as federal transportation taxes, it might hurt the other 49 more than us. But those comments are usually coming from a place of fear or jest. She says, we are proud Americans and the Republic of California is a long way away from separating from the rest of the U.S. And then Molly also sent in some praise for Governor Newsom. She said that she's originally from New York, now lives in California. There's no shortage of news paid to her governors, uh, but she has been really impressed with Governor Newsom, especially the preparations made in anticipation of a new wave of coronavirus patients. And I think that is really important and something that we're not talking about quite enough, that we may have a lull and another spike. She said California is taking a very cautious approach with clear benchmarks, and then it gives her a lot of comfort. I think with regards to Governor Newsom in particular, like, you don't have to like his style. You don't have to like his press conferences. You can just look at the numbers coming out of California and have to acknowledge that there's some real leadership. I mean, they just announced that the entire, I think it's the county of L.A., is everyone can get a test. That's unbelievable. That is some real 
coordination and leadership. And they I kept expecting sort of California to surge in the way that New York City had. And it just never happened. And I think that that is a testament to his leadership and the entire state. Molly also wanted to shout out community sector leaders. She says she lives in downtown L.A. with her husband just a couple blocks from Skid Row. Molly writes, we have small tent communities on our block. The impact on our homeless neighbors has been devastating. We're volunteers and supporters of our local United Way, which does amazing work advocating for our unhoused neighbors. With the pandemic, they've been in overdrive, doing more than what seemed possible before anticipating needs of both the unhoused and the frontline workers caring and supporting them. And I appreciate that so much from Molly. Thank you to you and your husband for getting involved in addition to your local leaders who are doing their best. And thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics as we continue to live through a global pandemic and a presidential campaign (laughs) and a million other things uh, going on in our lives and in the life of our country. We love going through it with all of you, and we hope you stay safe as we continue to move forward. And until we talk to you again on Tuesday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin and Studio D Productions. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Tiffany Hasler, Martha Brunitsky, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Allie Edwards, Amy Whited, Jared Minson, and Allison Luzader. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram at Pantsuit Politics.